for this generation um, in particular, I, I think two things are critical. Um, one is authenticity and the other is empathy. And so as a leader, if you can demonstrate both authenticity and empathy, um, that goes a long way in terms of creating those relationships and keeping those employees who could jump ship for more money pretty much anywhere else, but they'll stay loyal if you have that, that strong relationship with them. Welcome back. I'm T.D. Smyers, and this is No Clichés. Hello and welcome to No Clichés, a companion podcast to my coaching, consulting, and leadership writing at A Bold Leader. I'm T.D. Smyers, and I've been in leadership my whole life, from taking point in small teams to command of military troops to multiple roles as a CEO. And if this life in leadership has taught me anything, it's that leading is more art than science. I call this no cliches because we'll go well beyond the basics here, leaving behind the LinkedIn infographics to dive headfirst into some of the toughest situations a leader can face. Through stories and interviews, you'll get a behind-the-scenes look at leadership truths that always apply, no matter what industry or sector you're in. This is a no-holds-barred leadership conversation, so strap in. A little over a month ago, on May 6, 2022, I was invited by Leadership Fort Worth to moderate a leadership panel for the graduation of their CEO-level program, Leader Prime. The topic of the panel was, the 80s called and they want their top-down leadership back. And it was a look at command and control leadership and how it's uh, an outmoded way to try to relate to folks that are in uh, Gen Z and, and younger millennials. The panel consisted of a group of experts from local academic institutions. Dr. Tommy Nichols, Associate Professor of Management and the Associate Dean of the School of Business at Texas Wesleyan University. Professor Tracy Rocket, Professor of Management Practice at Texas Christian University, as well as the Director for TCU's new online professional MBA program and the recipient of the Neely School of Business Outstanding Service Award last year. And Dr. David Mack, Senior Advisor to the Dean and Clinical Professor of Management at University of Texas at Arlington, and the Director of the Goolsby Leadership Academy for over a decade. So with these experts on the panel, it was go time at Leader Prime. My name is T.D. Smyers. I'm happy to be here. I was sitting where you were uh, several years ago when I went through Leader Prime. Uh, it was a great program, so I hope you all have had a, as great a time as I remember having. And uh, because I sat in your seat, not only in Leader Prime, but also as a, a leader with authority and accountability for an organization, for several of them in Fort Worth, I really wanted to structure this panel to be something that would be additive to you, not just a panel on leadership, because let's face it, you're leaders, and you've all trod that path to get where you are now. So for us, it was let's, let's find something that's, uh, that fits, something that's uh, helpful to you as you leave here and seek to lead your organizations. I am really, really privileged to not only have to my right some really, really smart people, but some people that I've got to know over the past couple of months since we formed as a panel to come here. We've met, we've dined together, we've drank together. We are gonna drink this morning, but I couldn't pack Bloody Marys, so you have me <laughs> sober. Um, and uh, would've been a lot more lucid, right? But uh, just to add a little bit to, uh, to Mayor Barr's description, um, Dr. Tommy Nichols to my right uh, never grew into Thomas or Tom, so he's Tommy, 
He's Dr. Tommy Nichols. I loved it when I read, too, that he was, he, one of his research topics was generational pedagogy. I'm like, do you want to admit that? It's his own recording. <laughs> but, 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 but apparently he's a teacher of teaching, which is kind of cool. Uh, Professor Tracy Rocket, who has the coolest supervillain name of anybody on the panel, <laughs> Professor Rocket, uh, has also just been named director for TCU's new online professional MBA program, which is kind of cool. So that's just happened. A recent thing, so congratulations, Professor Rocket. And then our sage down there at the end, Dr. David Mack, was the director of the Goolsby Leadership Academy for over a decade. So you, and he's, he's, he was just talking with us before we went live about teaching an MBA program in China. So you, you know, if you're like I am, how many of you that are leaders of organizations read leadership books? Sure, yeah, we all do, because we're seeking to grow. You have the benefit here of three folks who have dedicated their time to studying leadership, to interacting with the people we're going to talk about, and to being leaders in their own right in academia. So really power-hitting panel here. And so uh, well, let's get on with it. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. So we chose a topic that we hope is uh, vibrant and alive. The 80s called and they want their top-down leadership back. <laughs> wow. So uh, it, it is just to show you how cool we, we're jiving as a group up here. Professor Rocket sends me this quote that kind of teases this up really nice. It's a quote from the CEO of Brooks Running, uh, Jim Weber, and he was asked the question, what do you think is the biggest misconception about good leadership today? And his comment was really, really brief. I think that the whole command and control thing is a relic. It's about engaging people and creating a North Star, a purpose, so that the team is going to give as much as they get. So what's the misconception? The misconception is that you can command and control your way to really creating value and culture. If you want to attract great talent, you've got to create purpose and mission and an opportunity for those people. Makes sense to me. So, so here we are, distinguished panel, in, two, in, in 2022. And we grew up, and well, I grew up, and a lot of you grew up in here. I mean, you're looking at it at the, the Leader Prime group, and you're seeing some boomers and some senior millennials that are now in charge of leading organizations. Does anybody here identify with a different generational group? Probably right? Gen X. Gen X. Gen X, right? Well, <laughs> we yeah. get forgotten every yeah. time, yeah. right? Gen X. Right? And then, and then the, the folks that are on your teams are, are largely Gen Zs. And maybe the the younger you know the younger millennials. So you've got a, some generational divide. Is that divide so different in our concepts and perceptions of what's required of us, what earns our trust, what earns our loyalty, that we need to adjust our leadership from what we all learned as we were growing up—the kind of top-down approach to command and control. Who wants to kick that one off? Yes, next question. <laughs> it's going to be about a 15-minute panel. No, I mean, dig into that a little bit. Why, what, what is it in the expectations of the workforce? I mean, we all read about it, right? We read about what's going on with the, the, the Great Resignation. We read about what's going on with people leaving roles. I mean, when I first read about the Great Resignation, I thought that can't be true. People got to eat. But people are finding ways to do things themselves, to start their own businesses. What, what do we need to know as leaders to attract that great talent and retain it and have it aligned in unity with what we're doing? Um, <clears throat> you know, 
first off, it's great to be here, and congratulations to all of you for doing this. It's a wonderful program, and I hope that this leads to continued involvement in this wonderful community uh, from all of you. That's what it's really all about. You know, there's no free lunches uh, in this uh, in this setup. I think you know probably everybody in this room. What got you to the leadership position that you're in today is not going to get you in the future uh, to where you want to be. Um, anybody in here disagree that the world has changed? It changed years ago. Even you know, add the pandemic into that. Uh, you look at the impact that technology has had, uh, that uh, you know, globalization has had. I, you know, somebody mentioned I've, I've been to China. I've been to China 33 times to teach uh, executive MBAs and whatnot, and I've gotten a pretty good idea of of what the the folks are like over there. And they're a lot like us, in 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 more ways than they're than they're different. But the world is so complex today, and work is so complex today. It's impossible anymore for us to be the leaders that we were in the past. And understand, this is a very genetic thing. Uh, it, you know, the animal kingdom has these same issues. You look at buffaloes, gorillas, uh, you know, you name it, elephants. They very much are a command and control type of society. When uh, the elephants run into a problem, everybody comes to a stop and they turn, they look for the old guy uh, with the silver hair uh, and uh, say, hey, fix this problem. And that's what many of us has made us successful, is we're problem fixers. Uh, and today, though, we can't do that, not, not effectively. Um, and there's, there's a whole topic called adaptive leadership that you know, I'm not going to get into, because that's a whole other session by itself. But we have to learn as leaders to help our employer, employees become the problem solvers, because they're the most qualified to do that. Uh, and that is not an easy task, uh, I can tell you. Um, it, is, it is a real challenge. It takes a lot of um, um, emotional intelligence. Hopefully you're familiar with, with that term. Uh, it takes a lot of work to get that, because you essentially have to transform it, because they want to stop and turn and look at you and say, boss, got a problem here. Come fix it for me. And if you do that, that's OK. Uh, but it really doesn't solve the problem because unless they look at it and change it systemically uh, and actually fix the problem instead of just solving that problem, uh, then probably your organization's not going to progress and your uh, competition's going to eat you alive. So, so when I was growing up, the, the concept that kind of aligned with that, but it's still part of the old command and control leadership model, was delegation and empowerment, right? Even to the point where I remember my first commanding officer saying, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions, right? We all, we all grew up with that. What, what does that look like in the eyes of today's workforce, though? Why, why is that a different perspective that they have now than the one I had, which was, I've got to find out what this culture is about and get online with, with what, what, the organization, what the organization wants me to be? Yeah, I mean, I think this generation, um, you know, younger generations, they, they want a empowerment still. Like, that's something they're looking for. I think one of the big differences generationally, though, is um, access and expectations about feedback. So, um, you know, whereas um, for, for older leaders, you know, no news is good news. Once a year is fine. Um, you know, and then you, you go down um, and, and you find, you know, quarterly is good. Um, this generation is frequent feedback all the time. You know, they, they really want to know and to calibrate. So rather than delegating and saying, go fix this, 
they want to have touch points with you. Am I in the right, you know, in the right direction here? Um, where do I need to pivot a little bit? That sort of thing. So you can't just hand off and expect them to go do things. And it's not because they can't be trusted or um, because they don't know what they're doing. It's more just they have that that relationship style of, of feedback and, and that feeds into their trust and the relationship building with you. That makes a lot of sense. I remember one comment that uh, Dr. Nichols made early when we were having uh, drinks that one night uh, was, um, you know, I can't remember since I was drinking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, the, the, the generation that we're talking about were, are, were born with a feedback mechanism in their hands, right? These, these things. And so that, that plays to what you're talking about. They're, they're, they've just kind of come to, to have that in every aspect of their life relationally. Mm -hmm. So then they apply it to the, to the workplace. It makes a lot of sense. You know, and to add on to what Tracy said, <clears throat> I, I stole this from a, another Gen, uh, Gen Z researcher, and they did the same thing. Asked students, okay, if I, if I, let's say I gave you a test, and it was unfair. There, were, there was nothing in, from the textbook in there. The questions were difficult. Uh, they didn't make sense, and I hadn't, I, did, I, was, I didn't give you much preparation for it. What would you do? Now, you got a bad grade on it. What would you do? And all of them to a person said, well, I'd make an appointment with you and I'd, I'd come to your office and we'd, we'd, we'd talk about that. And I said, and here's the interesting part. Now, what, what do you think your parents would have done? And about 90% of them said, same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not what happened when I was in college or in high school. I got a bad grade. I talked bad behind, them, behind their back. So the, the point being is that their, their perspective is, is, is different right? And they do have that feedback mechanism. They don't, Dr. Mack was saying, they don't need us for authority um, when it comes to facts and how to do things. They've got that. They need us for, for other things, um, to, to teach them. Credibility is important to them, but how do you do that, right? Trust is important to them, but how do you do that? That's what they need us for. See, that's a, that's, I'd love to hear the perspective of some of the other panelists on that concept of trust is important to them, but what does that look like to them? I mean, trust and loyalty in, in from, a, from an 80s growth perspective, right, growing up as a leader then, looks like unity of effort. It looks like, uh, you know, believing in the organization and being part of its ultimate success. What is that, why does that look different today? Uh, you know, one of the things, you know, you talked about a little bit earlier was the great resign. 60% um, of your employees right now are thinking about changing jobs. 40% of them are actively engaged in changing jobs. The two, and you might think, oh, well, more money. You know, we hear about all these huge salaries and things we're getting or benefits, that type of thing. Number one reason is they don't like your company. Number two reason is they don't like you, okay? And that's not easy to hear sometimes. But this generation, you know, we, we talked about this somewhat, you know, Every generation, my generation, I'm, I'm the oldest one here on this panel, um, my generation is you went to work and you did whatever you had to do to feed your family. My son's generation was more, oh, wait a minute, you know, uh, I want something that's fulfilling, I want to have some free time and stuff. But he was, his generation was willing to compromise. Say, so, ooh, uh, a promotion, this big promotion, I can get a new car, so I'll surrender that value for now. The new generations that are coming in, they have those same values, but they're not going to surrender those values. They want those Thursday morning yoga classes. They want 
to believe in what their company does. They want to be treated fairly, and they want to be involved in the decision-making of your organization. And if they don't find that with you, they've got tons of other opportunities out there. So they're not going to change. Okay? They're not going to change. You better. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because I, I think, you know, you talked about kind of loyalty to the company and to the mission. Um, there is no psychological contract for these these students coming out now. They're, they It has been broken. And it was already, like, hanging by a thread, but then COVID happened. And I had um, a number of students who had jobs in hand and were going to graduate, and then the job offers disappeared. And um, so they were already a bit mistrustful, and then that happened, and they're like, nope, we're done. And I've had students, um, former students who've come back and said that they've left a company because they felt that the company um, was micromanaging them, that they were monitoring them, that they were, um, you know, um, continually, like, in their, their space, and they didn't feel like they had the autonomy they needed or wanted. So they would leave that job even without a job in hand, which seems terrifying to somebody like me. Um, but, but they're all about their principles. And if you can build that trust with them, it's not about the, the organization anymore, and this is our mission but our personal relationship. And um, for this generation um, in particular, I, I think two things are critical. Um, one is authenticity and the other is empathy. And so as a leader, if you can demonstrate both authenticity and empathy, um, that goes a long way in terms of creating those relationships and keeping those employees who could jump ship for more money pretty much anywhere else, but they'll stay loyal if you have that, that strong relationship with them. Yeah, you know, and, and talking about that relationship, that's exactly what they want. They want a relationship with their employer. Um, just like any one of us might want a relationship. But because of that authenticity piece, they, they, can, they can figure out if you're lying, if you're not genuine. Um, they are very socially aware, and that's very, very important to them. But also diversity is very important. They only recognize diversity if it's not there. And because of that, you don't necessarily even have to have value alignment, right? You have to have values, and you have to show that you care about those values, and they'll respect that, but they want to know that you do care, and it's part of that relationship building, and they want to see that it's authentic. That's actually probably good news, right? Because who, who didn't grow up learning how to be a leader at some point, coming through management, and discovering that authenticity was what really needed to underlie everything you did anyway, right? I think everybody probably grasps that and you've seen it yourself how many of you could see through a leader that wasn't authentic that was putting on a front uh, i remember actually getting counsel from a senior officer in the navy asking what what veneer i was going to put on for a role and my response was i don't even know what that looks like <laughs> i mean you know uh, again he was he was advising against the he was advising on a path that that was lacking authenticity so i i think that's a good news i think that's maybe a bridge where we can take stuff that we've all seen that's important and maybe, uh, I don't know, what, implement it uh, toward this group? Or um, what is that? What is that? So, so just in terms of tools, let's bring it down to kind of practical application. You know, we've talked about authenticity. We've talked about principled leadership and having uh, the workforce come on board with the mission of the organization. And not just come on board and join it, but actually develop a relationship and maybe be part of producing it, mm -hmm. right? So what are some practical applications of that, methods uh, to use in the workforce that help harness that? Well, one thing I think is, is uh, getting back to the feedback, um, and it also connects to authenticity, is communicate. 
um, be out front and communicate regularly with your um, people. And I'm not saying communicate in the, the sense that you're micromanaging, checking in, how are you doing, what's going on, you know, that, that little, you know, checking in stuff, but more of the, the big, um, you know, these are the things we're doing, this is why we're here, we're here together, um, how do we work together to get there, admitting when you make a mistake and being very open and transparent about that, modeling that vulnerability. Um, when they talk to um, people during kind of the, the peak of COVID, when um, people were, were really stressed, um, you know, they were at home, many with kids, um, with family members, um, that sort of thing. They, um, they were really stressed, and they said that they valued those leaders who um, were empathetic but also um, modeled vulnerability themselves. So, you know, sent out an email and said, hey, you know, this is a tough time for everyone. I'm struggling. Here's how I'm struggling. Um, let's just take a mental health day and not not do some work today, right? Let, and let's reconvene tomorrow, right? So, so that communication, the communication with intention to model the behaviors you want um, and to to trust your your employees um, as you hope that they'll trust you. I think <clears throat> you also have to look at do your employees really know what you do? We've all heard the story, right, about the um, CEO or, or visitor touring a hospital and there's a janitor there sweeping up and they say, hey, what do you do here at the hospital? And he goes, I, we save lives. Because that's what we do is we save lives and I'm a part of that. You'd be amazed, because we teach them, uh, you'd be amazed how many of your employees don't really understand what your organization is about. They really don't at a very basic level. And the other thing they don't know because we don't tell them is how does your organization make money? Where does, where does the money go? Uh, anybody know who Dan Dipert is? Runs a big travel company over in, in Arlington. And uh, he does a great job. He says he takes a, a dollar bill and he meets with all of his employees. And he says, okay, he says, how much do you think goes for purchasing bu buses and stuff? He says, okay, well, you know, 70 cents. He says, how much do you think goes for payroll and that type of thing? Well, there's 20 cents. And so he, go, he keeps going through this whole thing and he goes, so, what's left for me? Well, seven cents. Anybody begrudge me that seven cents? And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, that's great. We're, we're glad you got something. You should get something out of this. Your employees can handle that information. And they, they know that you have to be a profitable. You know, you've got to have more money coming in than you have going out. They can handle that kind of information, and they want that. They want their company to be healthy. Uh, but don't be afraid to share that information. Make them true partners uh, in, your, in your organizations. They should know all of that stuff. They should know, every one of them should know what they contribute on an annual basis to the bottom line of your organization, and they should be proud of that. That's, that's one thing that's very particular. You know, we talk about so much of the stuff we said, you might be thinking, well, yeah, the, but that's everybody. What's, what's, gener what's different perhaps about Generation Z? And I, th I think that difference is, is that joined ranks, right? They've got TikTok, right? And, and they learn a lot from that. And it's not all bad, right? Um, and they saw what happened to the millennials. Google this for me, right? Millennials ruined, you'll get anything from mayonnaise to society, right? <laughs> Man, how did they ruin, anyway. So they've joined ranks and said, you know, we're not doing this. Before you know it, they're going to accuse us of ruining mustard and ketchup. So we're, we're not going to have this, right? And so they do talk to each other. And they have, a, 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 I think you call it a tribal identity, right? And 
because it is almost a reaction, and they're, and they're very much aware, and so they want the transparency, they talk to one another, and as Dr. Mack was saying, they want a seat at the table, not to make the decisions, but to know the inner workings, right? They, they want to know the why. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back to my example of asking them what they do about that test, it was all about the why, whereas maybe when I was growing up, I didn't always ask the why. I was curious about it, but there was an authority figure. It was a command and control system. I didn't ask the why. They are definitely asking the why. Uh, there was a Randstad study that came out recently that said 56% of uh, Gen Zers would either not take a job or quit their job if it got in the way of their personal lives. And on the, on the surface, that might be a little bit like, whoa, that's selfish or shocking. But what they've learned is, and, and primarily through the pandemic, is that they can have their cake and eat it too. They saw their parents doing it all of a sudden working from home and being, and being with them. Um, and so they understand that it's possible and that this is a society with technology that can make that possible and they don't have to choose your company if you don't offer that. Well, this has been insightful for me as somebody who, who grew up always focusing on unity. Right, unity of effort, organizational unity. Uh, for the first 31 years of my professional life, my group I was with was defined by the patch we wore on our sleeve of our flight suit. That's what unified all of us. And we came from all over the world, literally, countries all over the world. Um, the U.S. Navy was a very, very diverse and inclusive organization. And this, the, so, but unity was what we always fought for. So I struggled initially when we started getting into this topic reading things online posted by some of the younger folks in the workforce, never take a job in which you can't speak your truth at work. And at first I was like, well, I mean, it's not about your truth, it's about stamping the best widgets, right? Or it's about achieving the mission, or it's about right, could be, be becoming part of something larger than yourself. Mm -hmm. But seeing now how, the, how it's not necessarily mutually exclusive to the attitudes that the younger folks in the workforce have. It's just a little bit of a different nuance. They want to become part of that solution. They want to feel like they have ownership of that solution, uh, seems like. Any other comments on that, yeah, Professor? Yeah, I, th I think they want, I mean, I think they, they want to be a part of something. It's not that they, they have no interest in it, <clears throat> but they bring their identity to work in a way that I think most of us didn't. Um, so they uh, talk very particularly about being seen. Um, and it's different than my generation, which we talked about being heard. Um, they they want to be seen for who they are and the contributions they make to the organization. And this gets back to the point that you made about um, diversity and being important to them. They want th they want to be valued for who they are as a contributing member of that team. And they're more than happy to be a part of that team, but they want to be recognized as individuals as well. So when you say things like there's no I in team, that does not resonate with them at all whatsoever. They want to be me and they want to be us at the same time, which is a little bit different, yeah. I think. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, I remember, uh, Tommy, you, you kind of drew that uh, that distinction once, you know, yourself about, yeah, they, 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 the Gen Zers are proud that they're, that they're tribal. They, they, they've, they've got an affinity as a group, whereas uh, maybe some of the millennials like, sought to, to di distance themselves from being grouped, you know, as a generational uh, entity. So, so when we, before we got started, Mayor Barr came up and he was uh, talking to Dr. Mack at the end of the table and Dr. Mack asked the mayor, is this a very interactive group? 
And uh, his response reminded me of the old truck commercial where the guy says, has that thing got a Hemi? And the driver says, you're about to find out. And so we're, we're, we're about to find out because uh, we're going to spend the next few minutes turning it over to you. The panel is at your disposal. So you've heard some, some comments, some discussion up here. Please participate in us and, uh, and it, with us and ask some questions of our panelists. You stick up your hand and I'll point your direction and we're rocking and rolling. Okay, so the question is, is about Dr. Nichols' socks, um, and this is a great story. We, we've, we've, he challenged me to a sock, the sock game, to up my sock game, and he blitzed it today. So, Dr. Nichols, explain your socks. Yeah, he told me to wear a uh, suit and funny socks, so this is all on TD. No, these are, these are, my, uh, these are the, uh, my kids. Uh, I've got, let's see, which one I got on which? I got, uh, Ellie's my 16-year-old on, on the green sock, and Tapin's my 10-year-old on the on the left and and I'm going to be picking up Ellie later from school today and again she's 16 and I am going to have the opportunity to lift my pants up <laughs> and so it's that's one of the primary purposes of the socks yes they're also starboard and port and they're actually on the right feet so that's pretty cool that was luck <laughs> okay other questions we had one over yes so I heard you talk about that you know the younger generation wants a seat at the table um I, I would like for you to expand on uh, their views on becoming leaders. You know, do they want to become the director of others, uh, or are they purely interested in this more collaborative, um, um, flat type of organization? You know, I I don't think they necessarily expect to come out of college and be a CEO. Right, but they do understand that to get there, there's a lot that they have to learn, and they are eager, and they're excited, um, and they don't want the bad rap that the millennials had either. So when I say having a seat at the table, I mean they they want to know how the sausage is made, right? They want they want to know what is going on behind there instead of just the the end product. And I I don't know about you guys, but I see that in my class a lot. Um, they're 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 asking. A, a, a different brand of questions, and it always revolves around, but why? But why? Um, and, and that's what I mean about having a seat at the table. They, they know that there's a process. They know that they're not going to come out. But they also know that there's that possibility, because they see their peers starting companies. There's a lot of Gen Z companies out there doing really well, and they understand that's a possibility, but they also know that they need to know the why to be able to even do that. And I think there's definitely a democratization that, that they, they see and they believe in. Because if you think about it, you, you know, as, as a new employee, never got to see the CEO and never got to speak to the CEO until you ascended to a certain level. These guys are tweeting and, you know, posting and, and doing all kinds of things. And they, they are, you know, getting responses from senior leaders and, um, they expect to be heard. And so I, I agree. I don't think that they all think that they're going to be leaders immediately. Many of them actually do aspire to leadership, but they believe that they have a voice and their voice is, is equivalent to others. And, you know, let me remind you of one thing. There's, 
there's never been a generation that didn't think that the next generation was going to take them to hell in a handbasket. I mean, it's <laughs> all ever since Adam and Eve, you know, disappointed uh, their their father greatly. Okay, it has been that way. It was my generation I had hair down to here and. You know, that, and, and I was just, you know, we were running this country into the ground. This is going to be horrible in Vietnam War and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. that, that happens, okay? And because they're different than us in, in some ways. And, and of course they're different than us. They want to be, you know? You know, you know, you'll say, well, why do kids and their grandparents get along so well? Because they share a common enemy. Okay, <laughs> they want to be different than their parents, and they should be. That's that that type of diversity is what really, really makes us strong. And one of your goals should be to make sure that you've got not diversity the way we typically think of it, but also diversity in the age of your employees. Um, great company here in Fort Worth, BNSF. Um, many, many years ago, they went through a period of almost 20 years where they didn't hire anybody. Uh, they just didn't, there was no reason. They were in a, in a downsizing mode and that type of thing. Now all of a sudden they had to ramp that up and so they started hiring people. Well, they had seniors, they had the, the baby boomers, and then they had 20 year olds. And it's like, okay, these two, these two just don't see each other uh, at all. So one of the other things that's key in your organizations is to recognize the value of those different age groups because they all bring something to the table. They, just because they're young doesn't mean they don't have really good values and really strong values and that they will add those values to the collective strength of your organization. And I, I do think it's important to point out that there's a difference between time of life and generation. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it's those lines, I think, oftentimes get blurred. But, you know, so Gen Z's, they're the ones matriculating right now out of college into the workforce. Um, the professor in me kind of wants to define this for you. Like millennials are 1980 to 1996, Gen Z 1996 to 2012-ish. But even that, I think, might be able to be expanded to all the kids that had their, inter their uh, education interrupted by the pandemic. Um, is that's going to be life-changing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, and we haven't talked about pandemic very much or the COVID, COVID at all, but this is going to change the way, uh, the way things are done in the future. And they, we, we're already seeing that. I think a lot of us assumed that Generation Z would fare the best from the pandemic because they're, they're all, they're, they're born with phones in their hands. But there was a study that showed that they came out the worst. And you think about it, this is just time of life. These are kids. Right, and this was so. So older generations, yeah, we rolled with it. We've been punched and we got back up. They hadn't gotten punched yet, right? And so they've not weathered this very well, and they need our help. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because one of the things I've seen is a difference this year. So I teach uh, mostly juniors and seniors, and um, this year was the first year that I got uh, kids who were in the middle of their freshman year when the pandemic hit. And there is, I mean, a huge difference mm -hmm. in the students from last year and students from this year. Just the, the disconnect, um, the, the, um, the kind of almost depression about like what's coming next. Um, 
And they really, again, that personal relationship is key because I found that like to, to engage students, it's not enough anymore to, to have the dog and pony show where you get up and you have an entertaining lecture and you have some exercises. You actually have to go out of your way to build those relationships with students to make them care because they are just done. Um, and it, it's, it's really sad. And, and I think, you know, um, it, it'll be interesting to see the kids who were in high school when this happened to them, right? Because there may even be um, a difference between those. So, so again, that empathy is so important because these students are struggling. I mean, they are struggling. The, the mental health issues that I've seen have gone through the roof. The requests from the dean of students, they're still, you know, having COVID and having to be out for seven to 10 days and missing that work and stressing about that. Um, and it has created a new normal, I think, where, um, where, again, that trust is even more important than it was before because they're, they're you know, just struggling. And I, I think you can get part of that trust by having uh, proactive mental well-being um, mm -hmm. programs or uh, uh, affiliations at work where that, that can help them. Because yeah. that's important to them. I, I have students coming up to me and saying, I didn't do my assignment because I have anxiety, because I've been mm -hmm. stressed. That never happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And they are aware of their mental well-being. And they talk about it, right? Yes. It's an open thing. And this is even pre-COVID. Like, this um, generation is open and, and honest um, and wants support in those ways that previous generations didn't. Awesome. Well, at ETA, we have uh, a very diverse student uh, body in so many different ways, economically um, being being one of them. We have a ton of first generation students, and it's funny we we didn't know how this was going to go. I mean, you know, education changed more in the last two years than it has in the last 300. It's it's phenomenal what they have gone through. And if you talk to our students about a third of them go, God, I hate this this online stuff. It's just awful. A third are like, this is great. <laughs> I don't ever have to come. I don't ever want to come back there again. And the other third are like, meh. You know, who cares, one way or the other. But one of the things that we, we did some surveys with some of our students, one of the ones that just almost brings you to tears is, you know, we all, we all I'm assuming you all live fairly close around here and, and, you know, you look like you're, you know, doing pretty well. I'm assuming you all have access to internet and that type of thing. We had students driving 25, 30 miles to get to a McDonald's so they could do their homework using McDonald's internet because they didn't have anything at home. I said, well, can't you go to your local library? You know, who has a library? You know, that just doesn't exist. It's, you can't, uh, and these guys have said it, I can't emphasize how much these kids, I'm sorry, I can say that at my age, uh, these kids have gone through uh, in the last two years. And some of that's going to fall on you uh, as employers to help them work through that. Um, because it's real, and, and I, I agree, uh, we haven't even seen the real iceberg you know, full iceberg, which is the high school kids uh, that have had just major challenges coming through the system, and they're gonna they're gonna come into our system. They're gonna come into this building, and we gotta figure out how to get them, you know, up to snuff, or we're gonna have a major major issues uh, out there in, in the future, and that's not gonna be easy. That's gonna take a real investment from all of us to make that happen. All right, thank you, Dr. Mack. I think we got a question in the back. Mayor Barr's got a mic up. Hi. Yes. Yeah. Um, so thinking about back to the workforce, less about students, um, what, what are you learning about how this generation wants to have um, tough feedback delivered to them? Because what we're noticing is, you know, we've got 50 and 60 year olds in management who are kind of like suck it up buttercup, right? <laughs> and then you've got the 20 and 30 year olds that there's just a, 
higher level of sensitivity and willingness to show that they're upset. Um, and so I would love some understanding of what the research is showing or what you're, you're seeing. So what I've seen is that um, they want you to give them feedback in writing, like by email or something like that, and set up a meeting and then talk with them about it. They don't like to be, um, they feel like they're being blindsided if you bring them in and you have a sit down with them because they, they're not prepared. So they like some feedback and it doesn't have to be the entire thing, but these are the things we're gonna discuss in our you know meeting when we get together, um, just to give you, you know, something to think about and then in an in-person follow-up meeting. And granted, you know, not everything's in person, so um, a lot of it happens by Zoom and they, they tend to be okay with that. But you know, really giving them something to, to kind of think about before they show up so that they don't feel like it's out of left field. And be prepared for them to bring their mother or father with them when they have that. No. <laughs> well, I, go ahead, Doc. Say, you know, being, a, as you said, a, a teacher of teaching, um, best practice nowadays is if you're going to have a face-to-face -face class, you need an online component as well. And, and part of that part of the lesson needs to be a video. And the shorter, the better. So if you can get feedback in a six-second vine, <laughs> you're there. But literally, 15 seconds to 30-second videos is what research is showing is the most effective teaching method. Um, if you translate that into feedback, well, I don't know. I haven't seen the research on that, but I imagine there is a connection. I had an experience I'll share with you. It was, a, it was, I was, let's see, it was about six years ago, and um, uh, my assistant came in and said, hey, um, we'll make up a name. Karen wants a, some time on your schedule. Karen was a young digital marketing person we had hired about 15 months earlier. And I said, sure, yeah, she, Karen's great. Put her on the calendar. So uh, she came in and uh, sat in my office, and I said, well, what can I help you with? You're doing a great job. Let's hear what you got for me. And she said, well, I've been here 18 months. No. 15 months, but okay. She, she said, I've been here 18 months and I'm not a director yet. And I, and I, I don't understand why not. I, I thought I was being punked. I looked for the cameras. <laughs> but he gave me an opportunity to have a conversation with Karen about career management, about sustained superior performance, about the things that create promotions and being part of the organization. But it was a learning experience for me in terms of uh, being more proactive about uh, managing those kind of expectations. Because I was, I was really caught by surprise by the question. Maybe I should have been, but I was. So, and I think, I think yeah, one other thing that you need to think about, it, and it comes back to that emotional intelligence piece of it, is how do you approach that session you know, when they come in? And I love to use, so let me ask you a question. You know, what did you learn from from this situation? What, what, what did you learn? Or have you talked to any of your fellow workers and asked them for any feedback on, on how you handled this particular situation? They'll, they'll accept honest feedback. Uh, they really will, because they do want to do better. But they don't necessarily like being called into the principal's office and yelled at uh, without any preamble to that. So that's one of my favorite phrases is, what have you learned from this situation? Because uh, a lot of times you can get them to, to really start thinking about what happened and, you know, and, and maybe uh, over time start coming prepared uh, to have that conversation instead of just you know, walking in cold. I've got a, a two-part question kind of playing off what you're talking about uh, with COVID. But the first part is we've got two 20-something-year-old kids, and I work with a room full of 20-somethings, and they're all really um, mission-driven, bright, I mean, really um, amazing people. But they have 
a much more dismal view of the world than previous generations. I mean, and I think about that. I mean, they don't, they, it's not just COVID that's hit them. It's a lot of things that have hit them. And they, so as, a, as work leaders, how do we help them deal with that? I, that's a big question. I don't really know how to help them with that. And then the second part of that, it's even harder because we understandably have a lot of hybrid working on. So all these touch points we're talking about wanting to do are much harder to do remotely. So you don't interact with them as much as you would normally in the old days. Yeah, they, this, this generation um, is very concerned about um, you know, the state of the world. Um, and so a couple of things. One is um, I, I think the point was made about having mental health services um, as part of, of the, the benefits that you offer um, and allowing time for that. I think the other thing is allowing for um, your employees to have some agency and maybe picking some things that they can do to give back. Because one of the things that we know that this generation is really interested in is in the the extracurricular like giving back so they're they're um, drawn to organizations that give them a day a quarter to go do volunteer work and that sort of thing so finding and and again it doesn't have to be exactly the organization that they want to to work with necessarily but finding an organization to align yourself letting them have some agency in um, you know helping make the world a better place that sort of thing and keeping generation and keeping generation keep in mind that this generation has access to a tremendous amount of information. Some of it is actually true. Um, and you know, you wouldn't believe the number of young people out there that today believe the world's going to end in three or four years because of climate issues. Well, it's not. Okay, it doesn't mean that climate issues are not a significant challenge and that we shouldn't be concerned with it, but the world's not going to end in three years. You know, you're going to make it to 25, all right, at least, maybe even 30 on this, and, and how, how are we going to get there? But no generation ever has, had, has been bombarded with the amount of information that this generation has. And, it, and it's constant, uh, going all day on, because they're constantly dialed in on it. And uh, sometimes it's, you know, you just have to sit down and just have these conversations and say, hey, you know, what, what's going on with you here? Uh, and somebody mentioned the mental health part of it, and that's, that's a serious one to do this. You know, if, you, if you're 19 years old and you think the world's going to end in three years, man, that's depressing. And I would only add just to lock arms with them mm -hmm. that yeah it does suck out there but what can we do yeah i know you care what 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 can we care about together and uh, those that social common awareness ground. issue show yeah find common a common ground. ground and your 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 values may be different than them but you can find common value thanks panel and we have one more question here in front yeah so thank you guys for being here my question is related to sort of thinking about the intersectionality between we're talking about generational sort of issues and the nuances associated with uh, management of various generations however there's an increasing amount of complexity uh, within each band based off of race specifically and gender we have a lot of uh, students of color who are finding their place in the world and there, there's, there's sort of a delay in terms of generation for the progress and social engagement and the ability to speak, quote, truth to power. So what does the research say about the intersectionality between this, this, this conversation about the generational divide and how that is exacerbated or attenuated by variances by race and gender? You know, the diversity, equity, inclusion, um, has become almost a buzzword, right? And everybody's talking about it and this, yes, we need to do it, but what are we actually doing about it? 
and I think that starts with the, the corporate culture, right? When I was saying earlier, we need to lock arms. We need to lock arms with that as well. We have as much to learn from this generation as they have to learn from us. And they are aware and probably more aware. They've experienced it differently than we have. And if we give them that respect to say, hey, what are these issues? What do we do about diversity and gender? Um, first off, the question is going to be weird to them, right? Because it's just supposed to be that way. And so showing them that, okay, this is actually an issue that they may be aware of, but differently from our perspective, right? That we didn't grow up the same way you did. But let's lock arms with you, invite them to the table, and let them lead our, our, our initiatives on diversity and gender. When it comes to that intersectionality part, I think that's the only way to address it, is all together, with all being diverse. Um, and doing it that way. And I think, you know, obviously we all <laughs> believe in education. Uh, and, and I really, really feel that education is the answer to a lot of our, of our problems that we have. Um, and, you know, it, the culture of higher education has got to change. This has not made me real popular over at UTA, but uh, arguments with professors saying, look, you know, in the first accounting class, your goal should not be to weed out 40% of those students so that they never go into the accounting profession because they don't have the minimum skills, math skills or whatever, to be successful. I says, your job is to have more of them be successful, more of them to pass your class. Oh, so you want me to lower my standards? No. <laughs> I want you to help them be successful. We have the ability to do that. Okay, we have the ability to do it because we have students from all walks of life that are tremendously disadvantaged because of the quality of the education they have when they come in our doors. We have the ability to work with that and to change that because education is the, is the difference maker. Uh, it really is. It's the great leveler uh, of, of society, uh, if you will. And, and I think that there's got to be a change in the way we view um, the roles that we have in, in the world of education. How do we make these students successful? How do we make them successful? How do we make sure that they pass this course so that they can then go on and do, uh, do the things that we need them to do that they want to do? Uh, and if we can solve that one, then I think we'll solve a lot of the other problems. Yeah, and you mentioned complexity, and I think that's something that um, you know, I, I talked about people wanting to be seen for their whole self, right? And so it's no longer about do you fit into this category or that category. It's an intersection of categories for many people. And I think that's one thing as leaders we can do is not make assumptions based on our, you know, experience, but take each person as an individual and talk to them and ask them what do they want, what do they need, where do they want to be? Um, because if you have that intersectionality, really, you everybody is truly an individual right you you do not have you know one size fits all so it has to be approach people where they are as individuals and and lead them from that position i'm going to bring this home by asking the, the panelists to you know one minute final thoughts on maybe something you were itching to get out there that didn't get out there or uh, just spend a minute and spill and then we'll complete it let's start with you dr nichols well that's not fair mm -hmm. <laughs> stage right <laughs> You know, if if uh, if I had to, if I if I had to have a, a take home lesson, um, I asked my daughter. Um, I said, "Okay." So I, I told her what I was doing today, and that we would likely end up talking about her generation. 
And I said, uh, so what would you like them to know? She goes, that we're cool. <laughs> I didn't point out that that was not a word from her generation, probably her <laughs> grandparents' generation. <laughs> but I think she encapsulated it. They, they, have a, they have a tribal identity. She and I have talked about generation time after time again, and she's the one that brings it up, and they don't like it if I use their, their language, right? <laughs> I'm not allowed to use their language. I'm, I'm appropriating it, and it's not right. But they are cool, and they aren't, they don't want to look like the millennials. They want to be themselves, and they want to be seen, and they want to be heard, and they want to sit at the table. Because um, again, they are cool. Thanks, doctor. Professor? Mine's not as, as cool as that. Um, <laughs> I guess um, when my dad was a manager for 30 years, um, a veteran, and then went into management. And one thing he always told me um, is people are different. People are different. People are different. That, that was repeated constantly. And, and usually because I was complaining that my sister got something that I didn't get or that sort of thing. People are different. People need different things at different times. And um, as I've, you know, gotten older and gotten out into the workforce and then gone into teaching, um, that's absolutely right. People are different. And if you treat people with respect um, and you value them for those differences, um, it makes a, a huge difference. So, um, so I guess that'd be my takeaway. Thanks, Professor. Dr. Mack. So I guess mine would be, I want to give you an example. Um, I've talked a little bit about it, this adaptive leadership thing, which is bringing about real change in an operation or in a system. Um, how many of you ever had a, a, an MRI? Was it a fun experience? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Imagine you're a, a nine-year-old child and you've got to have an MRI. Um, you know, children are incredibly perceptive and they know their parents are worried, they know that something's going on. You got this, you know, people in these white uniforms and they're very stuffy and it smells bad in there, it's all medicine-y and, and you got this big piece of equipment, equipment and it makes weird noises and stuff. So in adaptive leadership we talk about um, um, fixes, okay, uh, technical fixes, and then we talk about adaptive change. So the technical fix, if you've got this kid who's just completely geeked out, and they've got a, or they, they put on the robe and it's open in the back and all that kind of stuff, they hate this thing. So what's the technical fix for that? You knock them out, okay? You give them a shot and knock them out and stick them in the machine and get your thing done. So some very innovative people uh, in, in different parts of the United States, they designed a new MRA machine that looks like a pirate ship. And so what happens is the kid uh, gets an email like three or four days ahead of time and there's a video there and it's this whole pirate adventure and, and what it is is they're stowing away on a pirate ship. And the idea is if the pirates get them, they're going to make them walk the plank and all this other kind of stuff. You can get kids eat that stuff up. And when they get there, they, they're greeted by this, you know, nurse, but she's got a pirate hat on and a parrot on her shoulder and all that kind of stuff, Arrgh, you know, in the whole nine yards. And so the whole adventure is they, they come in, they get a really cool pair of pajamas that they get to put on instead of that ugly robe. And the whole thing is, you know, that they're, the pirates are coming, the pirates are coming, and they show them the, the tube there, and that's their hidey hole. And they say, oh, the pirates are coming, the pirates are coming, get in your hidey hole. Okay, hold real still, the pirates are outside, the pirates are outside. Procedures done, come out, the kid's loving it, uh, wants to come back next time. So when we have a few minutes, go ahead and do a search for Pirate Ship MRI. These things are out there. It's really, really cool looking. 
and even their parents now are asking to be a part of the, uh, the pirate adventure when they go for their MRI. That's a perfect example of an adaptive change. Instead of the technical, force the kid by giving him a drug and make him go through, and good luck getting that kid to come back again uh, in that situation. That's an adaptive change where instead of just forcing them to use the system we have, you change the system. Uh, so that it becomes better. And that's what we all ought to be trying to do, is change that system so that it becomes better instead of just forcing people to use the one that we already have. Thanks, Dr. Mack. And I, I, I hope you all can see now what, what a blast I've had getting to know these folks and getting the, the, the privilege to moderate this panel. Uh, you've heard a lot of stuff today, a lot of uh, arrows to put in your quiver, right? Um, developing a growth and learning mindset as a leader, uh, bringing authenticity, empathy to bear in your role. Inclusion with empowerment, uh, building common ground and partnership with this generation, and doing so with innovation and adaptive change. Uh, it's been really inspiring for me. Uh, I want to thank Mayor Barr for being our microphone runner around the room all today. The man can do everything and has done everything, so thank you very much, Mayor. Uh, thanks for asking me to do this. and. To the panel, uh, it's been an honor and privilege to, to do this with you all. Please give it up for our panelists today. Thanks for listening in to this episode of No Clichés. For visual stuff like links, texts, and pics, visit aboldleader.com and look for the banner at the top of the page. I'd also like to know what you think. You can leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash aboldleader or a written one at aboldleader.com. I'm T.D. Smyers, and I look forward to having you back. <music>